0: yes friends on a monday it is ogp one giant podcast i'm your host adam marbrecht covering the giants and also the brooklyn nets over on the locked on nets podcast and that is season ticket holder generational new york football giants fan andrew Macowicz, who on a monday for the first time in several weeks really does get to be healthy wealthy and wise fresh off of a giants victory
1: i mean how nice was it doesn't it just set up the end of your weekend. Like I'm usually getting the Sunday scaries at them. And instead, like when the giants win, it feels like just like a warm cozy blanket that you can wrap around. And like you go into Monday, you wake up fresh Monday morning and you're like, wow, the week doesn't have to feel terrible every Monday morning. (laughs) It's true. Right. And the, the funny thing is, or depending on how you look at it,
0: right. Giants come into this game, as we know, one in five, you and I both called for the giants to win actually in a little bit of a tighter matchup than it turned out to be. But there's some reasons I think for that. Um do you just quickly before we get into some of the positives from the game do you find it cuz I even got the twinge of not frustration but just like well couldn't you have it doesn't matter but you know where the record is but couldn't you have had the Carolina Panthers game 2 weeks earlier like wh- when you feel like the Giants got to 2 and 3 it's still all possible when you do it at 1 and 5 you're like yeah all right
1: <laughs> i i mean it, it it is kind of ironic that like the this- Season is lost, and they go out and they just absolutely dismantle another team, like to the point where their starting quarterback gets benched, which which we'll talk about in a little bit. But yeah, it's it's tough because listen, we keep going back to there are there were winnable games for the Giants that they just inexplicably lost. Washington, if they don't call Dexter Lawrence offside, they win that Washington game. Literally, that one play is the difference in the whole thing. The Atlanta game, if we can catch. An interception in the end zone with a couple minutes to go, the game is over. With the Giants win the game, that's two wins that you could flip the script on. And instead of being one and five, the Giants are you know three and two. All of a sudden, it, you know, it, it things change drastically in that direction. So yeah, I, I agree with you. It does feel uh, a little bit like uh, you, you're kind of watching it. You're like, yes, I know this team can do this. I just wish they would have done it earlier so that like we could actually be excited about. What a win means for the team in the longer term,
0: yeah. So, we're we're getting into a little bit of those pieces. Uh, some of the conversation around the personnel on this roster, what it kind of means, right? Big picture for the Giants, but inside this game, there's a lot of there's there's some fun plays in here. Let's let's put it that way. We'll get to uh, one Daniel Jones and the the multifaceted uh, Daniel Jones in terms of skill sets, but let's start with the defensive side of it. The Carolina Panthers they come in with a banged up offensive line, and for the first time, I, I think from you know, whistle to whistle here. The Giants defense who got last couple of weeks, we've seen them show spurts, especially through Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, right? Getting after the quarterback a little bit. But again, weakened offensive line, Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Aziz Ojalari, like these guys all came in with a bit of an attitude as you should when you're when you're facing what feels like, you know, a backup roster across across the line from you. And, And they got to work in a big way held the obviously Panthers to just three points in this one. What, what, what things about the defensive side of the ball did you like? How much of it do you say is, is Patrick Graham and these defensive players and getting back to work and doing it right? And how much is who was on the other side of the field?
1: Well, that's obviously the uh, million dollar question, but you know, when we talked about the game preview and the, and the game prediction, we both call for a Giants win. I said, expect this to be the week the defense shows up. I called them scoring a defensive touchdown. Now, I, I feel like I get half credit for that, Adam, because a safety feels like the defense actually scored. So, like, uh, you know, uh, I'll give myself a half pat on the back. But uh, I'm to go your three point. Quarters, Who knows? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, I'll take it. Listen, the de- defense doesn't score every week. So, calling for, for a defensive scores is, is pretty good. Uh, listen it's tough. You can't tell the story of the giants defense being awesome without telling the story about how inept Sam Darnold (laughs) looked out there. Like he, he, you know, the, the joke that everyone will use. And it's very cliche is like when, when Sam Darnold was playing for the jets at MetLife and he was playing against the Patriots, he said he was seeing ghosts. Like he couldn't figure out defenses, couldn't read them. He clearly could not read the giants defense at all in this game. He looked horrible. And, and it, it just conjures up things to me of like, there are still people, even like as recently as a couple of weeks ago that are like, yeah, Sam Darnold's clearly a better quarterback than Daniel Jones. And and you look at that one game, you're like, no, he's not. No. no, no like, let's, let's not get this confused. Sam Darnold will end up being a backup quarterback in this league in 12 months. There's a reason why the Carolina Panthers are outwardly like sending him and, and blowing kisses to Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans because they realized that the trade that they made for for Sam Darnold was a short term uh you know bridge gap type of thing and now they're looking other places. So for me it, it has a lot to do with this offense. No Christian McCaffrey out there for Carolina. Chuba Hubbard did not look good. I think he he averaged under 3 yards a carry. So mm-hmm. so I mean I don't want to you know heap all of the blame on, on the Panthers. The Giants defensive front came to play. Dexter Lawrence got to the quarterback, looked great. Leonard Williams in the backfield constantly got, you know, w- was able to up his sack total. And you mentioned Izizo Ojalari looking really, really good out there, looking like defensive rookie of the year at this point with how, you know, he's got six and a half sacks already on the season. So I, I think it's a little bit of both, Adam, but yeah, I, I, I'd have to say it's more on just Sam Darnold and Shuba Hubbard isn't going to win you games against even mediocre teams.
0: No listen, I and that's the we talk about it with Daniel Jones sometimes too, right? The supporting cast around him. I, Sam Darnold can be successful if he has a quality team around him, right? Plug him in on team X, team Y that has a really good offensive line and stable weapons all those things. But I think he's destined to be a Ryan Fitzpatrick probably, right? A guy that's going to go through stints where maybe he is the starter for a given team, but also finds himself in a position like he is right now where yes, you were traded for, yes, you were brought in, and also, you're probably looked at as this bridge to what the next thing may be, and and listen, schedule and record dictates a lot of that if you're the Carolina Panthers. If you didn't lose C.J. McCaffrey, you know, who knows what this season looks like for them, right? If, if Anderson looks more like the wide receiver that he was last season, then maybe this feels a little bit different because you have more there, so there's a lot of things going on in Carolina from that standpoint, but but all you can do is take advantage of it. And you mentioned disease, two and a half sacks in this one, four, four QB hits overall. That's the kind of effort that you want to be seeing, especially off those edge positions. So a spot where we haven't seen that type of consistency from the Giants. And then really just the defense overall, getting the pressure up the middle, right? When you're built like this and you use the three, four, and we know that defensive schemes are somewhat fluid. But Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, like these are guys that have to move the interior of the offensive line to allow Aziz Ojalari or allow Lorenzo Carter or any blitz packages you're going to bring to be able to get there with one on one matchups and beat them. So we've seen it the last couple of weeks. The competition's the competition. When you go up against the Kansas City Chiefs next week, who knows what it's going to look like. But at least for going back to last week, even in that really bad loss in the week prior, we saw these little instances of saying, oh, it looks like this defensive front can start to get after the quarterback a little bit here find out if it can carry over the bottom line is they did enough of it and did it consistently enough against the Panthers to get the job done the the other more exciting piece of it is that the Giants put up 25 points and what felt like a very laboring 25 points to get there but they got there and Daniel Jones listen this is kind of that piece right where you win the game but let's just you know we, we try to keep things in context here on the podcast you know Daniel Jones only threw for 200 yards right now he also ran as we know for what 28 on six carries so i mean he used his legs far more daringly in this game right (laughs) doing it doing it going up and getting into physical uh, confrontations with uh, members of the secondary for the carolina panthers but it's not like this was a world win game for daniel jones as a quarterback qbr of 43 so Just remember, Burns was across there from him, obviously. like We know the weapons that we were going to face. We highlighted that edge pressure, and it was there throughout this game. Do you take away kind of credit to the Giants and the lack of weapons and everything else and just finding a way to muddle through this and from a QB standpoint, from an offensive standpoint, say, listen, don't make a big mistake in this game. Let the defense dominate, and we can get out of here with a win.
1: Yeah. So I was watching this uh, game with uh, my brother in law and one of my other buddies, fellow Giant fan. Um, and my brother in law is a, a Patriot fan. And basically, I was trying to explain to him how good Daniel Jones is. And he's like, he's clearly a bottom five quarterback in the league. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. And we go through this whole thing. Like, everyone that's a non Giant fan, like, you have to, d- it feels like I want to fast forward 10 minutes so that we don't have to have the same conversation over and over again. Right. And it, You know, I think you're right. I think I looked at him, and the reason why I brought it up is because I looked at him at the end of the first quarter, and I said, they could play 15 quarters against the Carolina Panthers, and I'm confident that the Giants' defense won't give up a touchdown. That's what I said to him. Literally, at the end of the first quarter, I'm like, they could play as many, like, give Sam Darnold the ball at the 20-yard line and make him go the entire length of the field. I don't think he could do it against this defense. I'm like, so on offense, you, you understood it. Like, you know, the Giants go for it early on fourth down. They don't get it. I l- I looked around and I said, uninspiring play call was the thing that I was upset about. I wasn't upset the Giants were aggressive and going for it. That's what, like, one in five teams should be doing is, like, trying to win games. But, like, the, like, halfback up the up the gut on fourth down, like, it, it just makes It wasn't no a great uh,
0: run pass, then run sequence there that they went with on that particular fourth down. But I knew that that was going to be <sighs> one that stuck out to you. Although, oh, by uh-huh. the way, if I I know we want to get to some of the big plays here but since we're talking about going forward on these downs um I don't know if you saw and this isn't we always say like Twitter's not the ultimate barometer of this but there was a notable uh personality from around the sports landscape that when the Giants kicked the field goal that made it a 12 point game the commentary was ah so the Giants kick a field goal and take it from a two two possession game to a two possession game And it just felt like, because we talk about going forward on fourth down, you know, trying to extend leads, push the pressure, whatever. That field goal made it a two-touchdown game. And it just seemed like that was falling on deaf ears across the landscape where I was like, I don't understand how you can't see that a touchdown and then a field goal would have won the game, whereas by kicking that very simple field goal, you made it so the Carolina, a team that had three points at the time, would need to score two touchdowns in order to come back in this one. I just a little footnote that, that yeah, uh,
1: and and no, but that's that's your point. It's like I looked at our defense and they were playing amazing, that's and being it's, strict, yes, right, yeah. yeah and, you're, and you're and you're just like, let's take the points here and let's kick it away and say, Sam Darnold, lead your team down to two touchdowns when you haven't done it once so far this game. Like, I, I like those things. I think, yeah, they're, it's like uh, jokingly, it's like, read the room. Right. Like context matters in these, in these situations. And that was one of the perfect situations where it's like, yeah, take the points, go up 12, kick the ball off to Sam Darnold and say, Sam, are you going to come down and beat us? And like I said, I I did not see them scoring on us. Our defense looked awesome. So let's just take the points where we can get them and, and being up a a score and turning it into a two touchdown game was completely fine to me.
0: How scared were you with the double reverse Daniel Jones out for a pass when Dante Pettis, he goes ahead and he leads him. He wants him. He wants him to take that ball at the sideline for six. And Daniel Jones, he he hesitates a little bit on the on the sideline as well. Looks like he, as they always say, sit down in your rat. I mean, Daniel Jones was using all the fundamentals on that particular play, and yet <laughs> manages to reach out, pulls it in one-handed grab, takes a hit. Like there were some things in this game. Take it with the spirit it's intended. Where you saw some skills from Daniel Jones that goes, oh like a little bit of Josh Allen light here, right? Like he, a little bit more when the running plays were, they were in between the hashes. They were not going outside, right? Not doing the safe plays. And you kind of said, okay, you know, there's there's a little bit more here that they're trying to tap into with Daniel Jones. He said after the game, it's something they work on with that particular pass play. It worked out, good pass from Pettis, et cetera. But what, what was your sense when that ball was in the air? And then do you think that against a bad team like the Carolina Panthers, it afforded Jason Garrett in this offense to say, like, th- this is the evolution of what we hope we can continue to do more of with Daniel Jones. It's been hard because we've had all these offensive line issues.
1: So I uh, as Daniel Jones makes that catch, I look over at my brother in law, who I mentioned was a Patriot fan. He's obviously a Tom Brady diehard. And, I, you know, as Tom he's telling Brady. me. Yeah, and, and as he's telling me, you know, Daniel Jones is like one of the three worst quarterbacks in the league or whatever he's trying to – whatever nonsense he's spewing. I basically looked at him and I, after I made that catch, I said, so Daniel Jones can run better than Tom Brady. Daniel Jones can catch the ball better than Tom Brady. Yeah, I guess Dan. maybe Tom Brady can throw the ball. But, hey, Daniel Jones oh. gets two but, – but Daniel Jones gets two out of three of the categories, so – does that make him better than Tom Brady? I don't know, but I'm just laying out the facts that are in front of me. You just saw the catch. I don't know what I'm, what else I'm supposed to tell you.
0: All I can do is read information. I only, the, the script is in front of me. It says two categories to one. I, I think we can all draw our own conclusions. So it's a, it's a heck of a play there. there there's some exciting moments. There's, there's things like when you talk about the running game, I, I, I know that people aren't going to find it sexy to say like, listen. Devontae Booker and even they mentioned on the broadcast, like he's a non spectacular player from a lot like in terms of the old eye test. And then he still plugs along behind a bad offensive line. However, you want to look at it like I do think 14 carries for 51 yards. That is not spectacular for, you know, for a 3.6 average. You can throw in the fact that Elijah Penny was used almost exclusively on every key third down carry that they needed ran it nine times for just 24 yards, but picked up all the first downs that they needed. Like I'm just going to keep going to the positives out of this game. The, the the rushing game went 103 yards total. You're not going to have these home run hitters that you get with Saquon Barkley, obviously, but I just think that Booker who grabbed two catches for 15 yards as well. Like, you need to be somewhat plotting if you're going to win some of these games here. And that's what the Giants were capable of doing. So it's it's, it's a tip of a cap to him. There's a big receiver that I want to get to here as well that I think um, we've avoided talking about, as some Giants ha- fans have, needing to put
1: certain names onto the uh, trade block. Well, it, you know, I, I think when you look at the way the Giants' uh, offensive script was, they realized that they were down so many weapons on offense that, You know, guy for guy, you're not going to just be able to beat some of the different players individually on the Carolina Panthers. So you have to get a little creative. You know, you're going to have Devontae Booker up the middle, but that's the reason why Dante Pettis is throwing balls to Daniel Jones. It's because we don't have Kenny Galladay who can just win one-on-one matchups on the outside, or Saquon Barkley in the backfield that can hit home runs on any play. It felt like we needed to manufacture points, and we had to get creative in the way that we did it. And so you, you saw that from the game script. You know, you look at Daniel Jones in in terms of how he was spreading the ball around. You look at Mm -hmm. Darius Slayton, Evan Ingram, Dante Pettis, all each with five catches or more. And you you get Daniel, uh, uh, John Ross involved. It it, it felt like they were just spreading it around. They were just saying, who's ever open, whoever can get a six to eight yards in this play. Let's just make it happen.
0: Tragically, uh, David Sills. Right through his hands. Boy, I, you really mm. wanted to have that, that opportunity for himself as he got back on the field. I wasn't sure if he was still a member of the roster. But you said about the balance there in terms of moving it offensively. Um, it, it is. Listen, it is Dante Pettis with that pass, but five for 39. He had a nice, very nice complimentary day. Very reliable day for him. Got You have to mention Evan Ingram. There's no way around it, right? Six catches for 44 yards was, again, do you think that you want to be using Evan Ingram in these more explosive ways? Yes, that's always been the intention with him. But it seems like the best functionality for Evan Ingram is a little bit more in the traditional vein, where you just kind of say, run some of the basic routes, be out in space a little bit. They you know, threw a couple of quick outside passes to him. He lined up out in uh, wide receiver spots a couple of times as well. But then to me, Darius Slayton, like I, I don't know how a five for 63 day From a fifth round pick that a lot of fans had said, this is a guy you need to trade away for whatever you can get. You don't need him anymore. He's not going to function in this offense, blah, blah, blah. You have Tony, all this stuff. Whatever the defense is on the other side of the ball, Everyone is saying that Darius Slayton is a, what, a third or a fourth wide receiver on the Giants roster. He played as the number one wide receiver, and he made a number of big catches in big spots. Like, he was very reliable for Daniel Jones in this one. And in a game like this, where that's all you need, is consistency and staying
1: ahead of the sticks, I thought that Slayton had a really nice game for himself. Yeah, he did. And, and you know what? I, I think over the last month or so, you know, Giant fans seem to, for some strange reason, have soured on Slayton. Like, you know, you see, you see Kenny Galladay when he's healthy, he's out there. He looks great. You see Sterling Shepard being like the engine that catches balls. And you see Kadarius Toney, who's, you know, the human joystick type of type of player out there. Darius Slayton drops one ball in one game, maybe drops another in, in, in a different one. And all of a sudden giant fans are like, he needs to be gone. He needs to be out of there. But you see how important he was to this offense. He, you know, the offense ran through him quite a bit. He made some very difficult catches 9 targets 5 catches 63 yards we talk about manufacturing points and plays and moving the ball down the field he did that in this game and you got to give him credit and I'm I know that it pains you to see Evan Ingram you know actually doing some some good things for the Giants maybe that ups his trade value so secretly you're you're happy about what what that does but you look at guys like Slayton and Ingram who have been maligned by some of the fan base here and they're starting to contribute and starting to produce and it makes you wonder if we can get back healthy and they're all of a sudden just asked to be complementary pieces. How much more dangerous this offense could actually be.
0: Yeah. And that's because, again, you think about Pettis having a decent day here, right? We've seen Ross have some nice games for the Giants over the course of this season as well. So you do. Yeah. If you put Darius Slayton, who I think we would all agree, has more potential and more upside and, you know, big play, big play, ability, maybe the wrong way to phrase it. But just a better overall talent than Pettis or than John Ross. We'll get him as the fourth wide receiver, right? Get him in a situation where it's Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Toney, Sterling Shepard, and then Darius Slayton just picking apart whoever you try to have against him. That's the kind of thing that I think the Giants, at least in the short term, envisioned for this offense. Um, but you did mention, so... This is then the bigger side of it. The Giants win the game. They're now two and five. They'll have the Kansas City Chiefs coming off an absolutely brutal loss this weekend. So, you know, you always think about setting the table. You prefer if they came in a little bit gluttonous, having a really just blowout win. But we'll see, right? They are three and four. And as far as it goes... You are your record, right? It's like what we talked, you mentioned the Atlanta game earlier. We thought Atlanta was going to be a really bad team. Well, they're, you know, around a 500 ball club, so they're more competitive than we thought. Same thing with the Panthers. Started 3-0. and Look where they came to before they came into this game, and the Giants got the win. But uh, Jabril Peppers was out there for the coin toss. He had a heck of a game, too. Had a sack, was all over the field in this one. Evan Ingram made some big plays. These are guys that we talked about potentially saying, hey, Maybe you need to think about trading these guys before the deadline. Uh, Regardless of how I may feel, Jabril Peppers isn't going anywhere because you don't have a guy as your captain with consistency, going out for coin tosses with consistency. And he was in the overtime game previously. So, I mean, we've seen this, but I doubt that he gets moved given the, the visual component that, that him being the captain brings to that situation. Evan Ingram, maybe there is an opportunity to trade him here off of a couple of, you know, respectable performances for him, but do you think, because the question I was going to pose on Twitter before this game was, if, you, if you're if you done with Joe Judge and you're done with Dave Gettleman and you think that there's been a lot of mistakes made in this organization over the last handful of years, you probably wouldn't be totally disgusted if they lost that game against Carolina. If you think that any element of it, if Joe Judge can still be the head coach for this team going forward, even if you don't like Gettleman, you want this win. You want every win that you can get because it validates that the injuries are what really threw us off and we can still get there in the end. Do you think that yesterday's win had any impact on how the giants look at the trade deadline and whether or not they were going to be willing to make a move?
1: Uh, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, maybe, may, maybe the outrage from the fan it's base. I love it. Uh, well, <laughs> no, it's hard. It's, it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's a great question because if the giants lose to the Carolina Panthers and the fan base has enough vitriol and, and, and anger Towards yep. Dave Gettleman and and all of a sudden now John Mara and, and Steve Tisch and, and ownership needs to potentially make it make a move or a knee you know a knee jerk reaction quickly just to make sure that the fan base doesn't completely turn on them like mm-hmm. you know the, you know as Giant fans everyone's frustrated with how things are going people don't like Gettleman but still believe in Daniel Jones and and, and this team in the and potentially in the long term yeah it, it's interesting if the Giants would have lost this game maybe it it accelerates the um. Chances of moving on and starting the rebuild faster. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was I was mentioning it to uh, to a buddy. I said, you know, the, the the challenge that we have about trading some of these players at the deadline is that I don't necessarily think that the situation that Dave Gettleman is in lends itself to what's best for the New York Football Giants moving forward. Like, think of it like this: you are a GM that is on the hot seat right now. How does Trading away any competent players that you have right now help you, the GM, in terms of winning games today to save your job, right? Like it, it doesn't. Oh, it's so does.
0: it hundred percent so, doesn't. But that's but that this is where because we uh, we talked you and I have talked about this talk about a lot of Giants fans where it's but the idea is this is John Mara coming down and saying you need to trade these players. Like John Mara would have to walk in the room and say. I, I want to make moves. I want draft capital. Here is the floor for what I want for Evan Ingram, for Jabril Pepper, whoever. Name, name the player on the roster. This is the floor that I'll take for them. Your job is to go make these trades. I want trades on my desk that, I, that are tangible for me. And to your point, it's it's not to Gettleman. It's not for Gettleman's benefit. This is for this is for John Mayer to say whatever choice I'm going to make in the offseason this is what I want to see happen now. Cause we're one in six, you know, one in six, we're going to be one in seven, we're going to be one in eight, whatever the record is going to look like. Right. So no, and it's hard. <laughs> and oh, you know,
1: no. that get is going to be saying,
0: ah, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> look at that two and five guy. Come on.
1: We're well, well right there. I mean, I mean, this is more of a philosophical or hypothetical question, but it's like, okay, if ownership has to go to the GM and say, I know it's not in the best interest of you saving your job, but we need to do this for the success of the organization. It's like, then why is that guy even in the position that he's in to begin with? Like, it, it, it oh, 100%. But it's just, right, like, right. It's, it's just like, it's like, it, right. Like, if, no matter if you're
0: what, having has to happen and you can either execute it or we can fire you and execute it, right? right like, but that, it's, that's kind of the scenario.
1: But it's like, even to have to pose that question Perfect. means that that person probably shouldn't be in the job because you should be thinking about the long term health and success of of the Giants as an organization. And he's thinking very short term, like, how do I salvage, you know? my 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 job like there you know there was a a rumor out there that uh that the giants were going to trade for cornerback kyle fuller of the denver broncos and give up assets for it and and it's like for what 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 are we doing being buyers at the deadline again like clearly we need to be (laughs) sellers and it's just it's just a bizarre it's a bizarre situation to be in adam i don't i just don't understand well, it's funny too, right? Cause you go back
0: to, to when uh, Dave Gellman first came into the job, you know, they make the trade for Leonard Williams, right? I mean, that, that was the thing. The giants were what two and six at the time, I believe just prior to making that move. And it was like, no, 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 we're still in it. We can do it, whatever. And they won some games on the back end of the season, not enough to validate necessarily that move, but now Leonard Williams is one of those key pieces inside of this defensive unit. So, you know, it, it does feel like that same, it does feel like you're in that same kind of boat right now. Now, I would say, too, ahead of this trade deadline, uh, because I said the same thing at the time of the Leonard Williams trade. Now, there's a lot of mechanics there. He's going to be a free agent. It takes a while. You have to franchise tag him, all that stuff. But if you think that there's a value you can get out on the market, and that basically what that means is like if you think that you can trade, and it's not the case that happened with Leonard Williams, but if you think that you can trade for someone who's not a highly sought-after commodity but a nice player, meaning you're not going to have a lot of competition on the market for him, championship teams aren't going to be looking to grab him, Then making a move like that now, that's okay. Like you can go, you can still bring in a body right now. If you think that it's going to help if the guy's on a two or three year contract at a reasonable price, right. And you're thinking about the big picture, making moves like that. I'm fine with, like, I'm not going to look at it as, well, you're two and five, you should be sellers. That's it. You can do it both ways, but you cannot go out and get what feels like, Hey, this is the missing piece. Like, we're a 5-2 and two team. This is what's going to put us over the edge, right? Those are the kind of moves right. that you can't make right now if you're the Giants franchise, and that's where, to your point, it's supposed to be. Dave Gettleman supposed to be the GM going to the owner and saying, hey, here's what we need to do right now based on where the team is this season and, and what our outlook is. Unfortunately, I think there's that, that some hesitation of, is Dave Gettleman fully committed to, to doing what's right based on the season or is he, as most GMs would be, right? thinking about how do I make it, how do I window dress this season? How do I get this team to seven wins and kind of massage into the idea of bad start, still made progress?
1: Yeah, well, you look at a team like the Arizona Cardinals. They are someone that is in win-now mode. Yeah. They expect to do things. That's why they go out, they lose, uh, you know, they're starting tight end, and they go say, let's go get the best tight end on the market, Zach Ertz, and we're going to give up assets to do that. That's a big difference than, than the Giants at two and five being like, we're one guy away on defense or offense from like competing in the NFC East. It doesn't it just doesn't feel right. But well, long term, I we we can kind of put that that to the side for a second. I think it's noteworthy and it feels good to celebrate the Giants for actually putting together a collective win across offense, defense, and special teams. Graham Gano yep. looked good, Daniel Jones played the part, the defense looked great. You know, there wasn't a, a, an uproar about Joe Judge and whether or not he's capable as the head coach. It felt like Jason Garrett, for the most part, was understanding, reading the room, reading the game script of what needed to be done to get the Giants to win. And, you know, it, it feels good, finally, for one week. And it, it's 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 very typical Giant fan for me to feel this. It's like, yes, I'm, I'm excited about what I saw, but then I'm also frustrated that, like, we're not seeing more of that in all of these games like that, there's no reason the giants going into that game should be 1 and 5 like that's that's the thing that makes me most angry at him
0: well so here here it is for me too because we'll come back in we'll talk about some injury updates thinking about ahead again you're going to have uh the Kansas City Chiefs will be the next up on the road for the New York Football Giants on a Monday nighter so you know big obviously matchup there in the next game we'll see if anything happens as far as the trade market goes etc here's one of the things the win is nice I'm a Giants fan. I want the Giants to win. But when you look at the Carolina Panthers and we start to get a better sense of who they are as a football team relative to where they started their year, I kind of look at it as this Sunday, we were the Giants and they were the Carolina Panthers. But the last two weeks before that, we were the Carolina Panthers to the LA Rams to the Dallas Cowboys, right? Like it falls on a spectrum here. Injuries play a big factor for the giants, but this is kind of what this is going to look like. I think against the better teams, the more explosive teams, our defense is going to have a harder time holding up their end of the bargain. Right. And against better defenses, we're going to have a harder time being effective unless we can start to get some of these weapons back. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag. It's nice to get this win. And again, we'll just say like, I'm excited for the win. I'm optimistic they can get some more wins this season. But when you have the Kansas City Chiefs and then the Raiders, who almost look like they're playing better after the whole John Gruden debacle, and then you come out against the the Buccaneers after the bye week. So you have three really difficult games before you get into Dave Gettleman territory playing the Eagles twice and the Dolphins, right? And some of these teams that you feel like you can get wins at the back of the year, I'm still not taking six or seven wins off the table for the giants based on the way the back end of the schedule looks based on the way Justin Fields looks as a starting NFL quarterback, at least right now for the Chicago bears, right? Like there is two Philly games, a Chicago game, a Washington football and the dolphins. That's five games that are going to be very winnable. And that's seven wins on the season. So it's still on the table. But I think we need to now think about, you got to win against a crappy team in the Panthers. Awesome. Now go get a win against a good team somewhere. And I don't mean to save the season or anything. I just mean to show me that the talent that is currently on this roster is capable of that. Yes, you need some people to get healthy here along the way. We're not going to get into Nate Solder. (laughs) Bless that man's heart. Because it's like, you know, this would be like me walking into the ring against Mike Tyson and Punch-Out, where they're just like, buddy, Give it all you got. And the guy's like, but it's not this isn't the way it's supposed to play this heart out. We'll get into that later. But
1: I, I, I hey, listen, hey, I, I you know I have been a big Nate Solder fan. I'm, and, not, you know, I'm not
0: even knocking the dude. I'm really I, not.
1: I, I, and and I would be shocked if you were, because it's not from a lack of effort. No. And it's oh, God, not God. from a lack of understanding, right? Like he <laughs> knows what's happening and so he will do anything in his power to make sure that Daniel Jones doesn't get killed out there and that's what I want, right? Like if he as Yeah, if you don't have the skill and you realize you're going to get beat, just grab the guy and take him down. Right? Like like it's very it's very simple and it's very basic. He did what he was asked to do. It wasn't great, but like yeah. he's out there doing it. You know, surprisingly Matt Pert, he 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 had zero credited sacks against him, QB hurries, QB pressures and hits, even though I think all Giant fans would safely say it didn't feel like a clean game from from, from her. Like I, like that 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 stat sheet is misleading, but it shows a little bit of progression from him. And yeah. it to your point, and kudos to you and other giant fans that have been saying well, just get him out there and let's see what we're working with. I've, I've kind of been like, well, if he's not on the field, clearly something is wrong, but then you see games like yesterday and you're like, okay, maybe there is something in there. Maybe we can develop something out of this. And the fact that like Nate Solder has been playing the way that he has, and her is still on the bench, it, like it, it, it's confounding to me. It doesn't even, it's nonsensical, Adam. It doesn't make sense. Help me make sense of it.
0: Well, we got, we got, yeah, we got, we got far afield here. I took us off the rails right on the, on the exit of the show, <laughs> but I, because and that's where it doesn't make sense to me. Again, if you, if you have your opinion about Matt part, that's one thing. My, my commentary has always been relative to what is the other option. So when, when Andrew Thomas is playing left tackle and he's healthy and on the field and you look over there, I just, there wasn't a world where what Nate Solder was giving you validated not having Matt Pert in there, right? If you had a viable veteran backup that that feels like he can still hold his own, that would be different. But the Giants don't have that. And that's where it was like, hey, at this stage, like I get it. It's going to feel worse if Matt Pert gives up a sack than if Nate Solder does because no one has expectations for Nate Solder going forward, right? But – You want to know or not know. And guess what? If Daniel Jones is going to get his butt kicked in some games, it might as well be while someone is learning to, you know, get better at the position as opposed to saying, yeah, Nate soldier grabbing dudes falling to the ground, et cetera. And we know that we're going to move off of him at the end of the season. So these are things that we'll get into as we work our way through the week. It is, it's a giants win. And again, I I'll lay out some of this stuff, maybe on Thursday, uh, because we're going to have, of course the Monday night. So we'll have a couple extra days this week to do a little bit more content for you, but there is this world here where we're going to take that step back and let's talk about the season, the value of it, and, and how we're going to grade things out on a game-to-game basis based on the opponent and based on where this record could go.
1: We, uh, we'll we be back. Hey, go ahead, Andy. You got a little closing uh, thought? I was just going to say, nice. and at, at the end of the oh, day,
0: Adam, yeah. Yeah, if I yes,
1: could. I mean, just, just to let everybody know, at the end of the day, uh, the ironic thing is the Giants come off a big win. We're all feeling good. And then you look at the schedule and you're like, oh, who do we play next? Let's carry this momentum into into next week. And you're like, oh, we get the Kansas City Chiefs on the road Monday Night Football after Patrick Mahomes got absolutely humiliated by the Tennessee Titans. Like, you you, you look for the silver lining, then you see that on your schedule and you're like, I kind of wish we didn't get the Chiefs after they got humiliated by the Tennessee Titans. But... Here we are. We're going to go into the breakdown and predictions, uh, you know, on the, on the Thursday show. But uh, let's see if the Giants can start building some momentum. It takes two wins in a row, Adam. I don't know if you know to be on a winning streak. So let's see if if the if the Giants can maybe get some momentum heading into Monday night.
0: And uh, just take this, pick this up, and put it in your pocket, friends. If not for the Dexter Lawrence offsides, the Giants would be three and four right now. There's something to think about. Anywho, we'll be back next time. You can follow us on YouTube where we're doing the live streams. Obviously, wherever you get the podcast needs filled, follow us on social media at One Giant Podcast. And as Andy Makowitz would want, need, and more than ever, following a New York football Giants victory, demand that the people know.
1: As always, let's go Big Blue.